Blog Talk Radio. Not yet freedom, not yet liberation. 
and we invite you as well. You can call in, weigh in, and we're going to talk a little bit about African Liberation Day and how we can make it bigger and better next year. But before we do all of this, like always, on this program, we'd like to introduce you briefly to our political panelists and analysts for today's program. First, we have Brother Anthony. We'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to the fellow panelists, uh, our guests, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Okay, fine, Brother Anthony. We will now bring in Brother Haki. Welcome, Brother Haki, to Africa on the Moon. Hey, Brother Africa. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> my name is Haki Kamafi Mishoki, Colonel with African Awareness. And, of course, you know my thing is all about institution building. It seems to me in, in the context of the so-called COVID-19, a uh, tremendous amount of changes have been made politically. And a lot of the changes that are being made are not good for humanity. So the question becomes, uh, what are we going to do in terms of addressing these systematic ills that afflict the society? So I encourage people to get about the business of building institutions, but institutions so indispensable, particularly when you talk about the kind of savagery, the kind of barbarism that's so much a part in terms of the current uh, political banking in society. So we need institutions, and I encourage people to get about the business of building institutions. And uh, again, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we go to Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, Brother African, for uh, having me here again tonight. My name is Brother Maurice. I'm an organizer for the uh, PRC Pan African Revolutionary Social Party, and uh, I'm happy to be here again tonight. And following Brother Maurice, we have one of our participants who is going to share some very interesting information with us as relates to his movement. And we're going to bring in and just say hello to John Steinbeck. He's working with the Himishima Nagasaki Peace Committee. Welcome, John, to Africa on the Moon. Yeah, thank you, Brother Africa. Thank you, brothers. It's a pleasure to, to be here to reflect on Africa Liberation Day 2020. All right, what we're going to do right now, as we said earlier, we're taking our leave for this year, African Liberation Day, that was organized by the All African Peoples, representative part of D.C. and the National Council of Arab Americans. That theme this year was not yet Yuhuru, not yet freedom, not yet liberation. We're going to first play this particular cultural presentation, not yet Yuhuru, and when we come back, Brother John, we want you to introduce yourself, your movement, and give us an update of what's going on in your world.
So, you know, the, the, the listeners might be curious, why, why is a group called the Hiroshima and Nagasaki Peace Committee of the National Capital Area um, concerned about Africa Liberation Day? So I, I, I think most of the panelists uh, know our history a little bit, but let me say that our committee was founded back in 1981 in Washington, D.C., uh, we we're, we are a community group. We are an inclusive group, and uh, you know we we struggle in solidarity with the oppressed. We are an anti-imperialist group, and our group has been present at all the Africa Liberation Day activities from our inception. In other words, from 1981, 82. So we were there when. Uh, uh, AAPRP organized the huge, enormous rallies that we had in Malcolm X Park, where there were 100,000 people in the park, and there were vendors all up and down 16th Street and 15th Street, hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of vendors, and people were there, and there was a feeling of excitement. Excitement and a feeling of victory. Uh, the anti-apartheid movement was uh, at its uh, full strength. The uh, liberation struggles in southern Africa were, were winning. Uh, and so we were there for that. And we were there through the 1980s. And then in the 1990s, uh, Mandela was released, uh, and uh, the uh, the victory was seen as complete. Uh, the pe- people, I think, felt, and, and Brother Bamboshi Shango talked about this yesterday a little bit. People thought, well, you know, the, the victory has been achieved, and and that's why this theme of not yet Yuhuru is so important. So there was this perception. Uh, that the victory has been achieved. I would say that in in terms of the anti-nuclear movement, we also uh, had some tremendous victories in parallel to our African Liberation Day victories. And then I remember Bill Clinton coming on the uh, TV and saying, well, the nuclear arms race is over. The children don't have to have nightmares anymore. And uh, people and the Democrat got elected. And there's, there's always that. There's always every four years there's the election and oftentimes. And 
the, the, the panelists are all veterans, like, like I am. So we've all been part of the struggle for our entire lives, and we have over and over and over again. And this, to some degree, is to our discredit, although all of us have warned over and over and over again, the Democrats are not our friend, the liberals are not our friend, but... You know, we are, we're also the coalition building. So we build a coalition with liberals, and then the Democrats win, and then the liberals, uh, the Democrats, actually go on to uh, achieve things that the, the Republicans could never imagine. You know, so think, think back to Reagan and Bush and how they really wanted to get the uh, World Trade Organization, and they wanted to get the World Bank. And they wanted to get uh, all kinds of policies passed, and they couldn't do it, and then Clinton was elected. What does he do? NAFTA and WTO and, and the, the whole bit, the, the, uh, basically the deregulating of Wall Street, the privatization of everything, every aspect of the economy, the, uh, the turning of the, the people into serfs. And the uh, the mass imprisonment of uh, of people of color and particularly African American people, and so now we have the specter of of the Democrats are running Joe Biden as their presidential nominee. Think about this. I mean, he was the primary architect. He was the one that actually pushed through mass incarceration. Uh, he was he was you know it said oh. Well, you know, he was a friend. Uncle Joe was a friend of the segregationists. Well, you know, we all know this is bullshit. I mean, he was the last of the Dixiecrats. He was a senator from Delaware. He was no different than Strom Thurmond and Eastland and Jesse Helms and all of the worst of the worst. He was one of them. He was the last of the Dixiecrats, and now here he is uh, being the, the Democrats. Very uh, banner carrier. So, but you, to get back to um, the, the Africa Liberation Day, we we did see um, numbers start to dissipate. We we dealt with that. We uh, the, the the AAPRP and then AAPRPGC. You know, we're, we're yeomans. I mean, you all continued to organize as long as it was possible to organize actual rallies. And then at that point, for years and years, you organize uh, teach-ins. And this is so important. And this is one of the things that we need to focus, focus, focus on. It's not just organizing, collective organizing, but it is educating the community about what's going on. So, so when we say, not yet, you're hero, and we say, okay, well, you know, yeah, well, we know everything is not perfect uh, and that there's neocolonialism and so on. Well, you know, the reality is that it's not just that we don't have freedom. It's just if you look at the dynamic today, how is neocolonial being, colonialism being imposed? Well, it's being imposed by, primarily by the World Bank. And, and essentially what, what they're doing is they are using their money leverage in order to force the nations of Africa to their knees and to use that 
money leverage in order to destroy any concept of, of self-sufficiency of the African people and to turn Africa into a gigantic uh, force of slave labor and resources. And the resources, the labor, the, the labor resources, and the physical resources, the, the, uh, the rare earth metals, uh, the, the, uh, uh, all, the, all of the mineral resources, uh, the fossil fuel resources, and the forest resources, the, the biological resources, the, the, the medicines, uh, all of this is being extracted uh, in amounts that King Leopold never imagined could happen. So it's not just that the struggle is not over. You know, brothers and sisters, I would say, I would put this to you. I would say the struggle hasn't begun yet. And so, but if we don't educate the young people about this so they understand what the reality is, that the reality is that, you know, AFRICOM is in almost every single uh, uh, country in Africa. This, this is a U.S. military presence. So you've got a U.S. military bases in every single country. And you think, oh, well, that's Donald Trump, right? Well, it's not Donald Trump. That's Barack Obama. You know, we need to educate the young people about this so that they know what's going on and so that they will have the tools that they need to move forward and to organize effective resistance. And it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fundamental question of survival. It's like Rosa Luxemburg said, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's socialism or barbarism. So I, I wanted to get that off my chest because, you know, every, everybody, a lot of us, you know, we wait for a whole year, Africa Liberation Day, and that's, just, that's our opportunity to, to say something. But I, I think we need to kind of get off that track and get on the track that when it's Africa Liberation, we need to, we need to organize all year long and then Africa Liberation Day, then talk about what we've done. So I, I just want okay. to stop talking for a second and let you talk. Okay, we'll pause right there, and while we pause right there, we'll continue our discussion with another freedom fighter and liberator. We have with us Sister Cora Holt. She's with the Pan-African Journal Radio. She would like you to send her solidarity statement and messages as it relates to this year African Liberation Day, and this is post-ARD Liberation Day. We're going on the theme, not yet you Hugo, not yet freedom, not yet liberation. My sister, we welcome you to the program. Welcome to Post-African Liberation Day. Thank you, um, Brother Lee, and I greet uh, you and uh, your audience, and I hope that everyone is staying safe. I hope that uh, we're all well. And this is a somewhat of a, a, a sad day for Af- African Liberation Day uh, this year because of the astounding number of Africans uh, throughout America who have made their transition due to the COVID virus, so uh, the COVID disease, rather, the coronavirus, the COVID disease. So, I, you know, before I even start on African Liberation Day, I think one thing that can liberate us today is the devastating impact and the effect of the coronavirus and to uh, let people know that, yes, this virus is real, and we should take it seriously. Uh, forget what you're hearing uh, from Washington, D.C. 
And each time I have an opportunity to speak to our community, I say to them, we're on our own. I've been saying that since the beginning of this pandemic. You must link up with folks in your community and understand the kinds of home remedies that you can do in order to protect yourself from this virus. Uh, Also, just breaking news, I'm not sure if you've heard this, but um, uh, the former mayor of Detroit, uh, Kwame Kilpatrick, was released from prison. Uh, I'm not certain if it's a temporary release. I was just doing some research on it when someone informed me that he was released. His uh, cellmate died of COVID-19. And I'm certain that his cellmate was a, a, a brother who looked just like him. So this disease, this pandemic, for some reason, it's ravishing through our community, and we're too silent about it, Brother Lee. We're silent about how to prevent ourselves from catching it. We're silent about protecting our families, and we're silent about just sharing information uh, with one another. And uh, it, it's important that we step it up. And I say to all the sisters out there, to the women, we are, you know, we are uh, the matriarchs, many of us, of our families. We need to gather all the information we can gather and disseminate that information uh, within our family structures. And for the brothers, uh, the same thing. Make sure you arm yourself with information. There's a lot out there. Uh, You know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. But one thing is for sure, numbers don't lie. So if you look at the numbers, our community is disproportionately dying. And uh, just over the past two days, our senior advisor to our African-American mayor of Houston passed away of COVID. Now, you would think he's the senior advisor of the mayor. Certainly he had information. Uh, So, you know, it's touching people from all walks of life in the African-American community. So this myth that, oh, black people are getting it because they're poor or they, they live close in close quarters, well, that's not true. People are uh, contracting this disease no matter where they live, no matter how much money they make. Uh, for some reason, our community is susceptible to it. And, uh, and I've read some studies about why. We can get into that at another time. But I do want to encourage everyone, to urge everyone to please stop what you're doing and learn more about how this disease is impacting our community and that it's more than just washing your hands and uh, keeping your hands out of your mouth and your eyes and your nose. There's more to it than that. And learn the other layers. Learn how if someone sneezes and you walk by within, say, five, ten minutes of that, that that that, that uh, virus is still in the air. It's not a bacteria and it's not a germ. It's a virus. And also know that just soapy water. If you can't get Lysol or Clorox or whatever, soapy water. Soap kills a virus. Not necessarily the heat or anything like that. It's the soap. So some people are using vinegar. Vinegar does not work. Some people are using certain chemicals. You don't have to use all that. You can just use soap and water. If you don't believe me. Do your own research and find out. Because in Houston, of course, just like many stores, you cannot find cleaning uh, supplies. You can't. But you can make your own at home when you find out the chemical composition of, of this uh, that, will, that will kill 
uh, this virus while, while you're cleaning up your home. So anyway, having said that, <clears throat> speaking of African Liberation Day, uh, the December 12th move, movement is having an online webinar tomorrow. So I'd like to encourage everyone to go online and check out that webinar. I'm not certain where it's going to be streamed. I can uh, probably pull up the flyer as we're talking. But uh, this will uh, definitely alert you about what's happening in the country and what you should pay attention to. Also, of course, you know, um, Brother Lee, I produce my show each and every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on 8 p.m. Central on Pacifica Radio right here in Houston. Pan-African Journal will be, uh, uh, again, highlighting African Liberation Day uh, by, uh, you know, linking it back to Malcolm once he left his trip uh, from the continent. He went over to Europe and spoke at Oxford University. Also, uh, we will uh, highlight the president of Ghana. I'm not, again, he was speaking along with the French president, and he told them, keep your money. Keep your money. I mean, this happened a couple of weeks ago. He said, we don't want your money because if we take your money, we always end up in deeper debt uh, than we are before we received it. It's time for us to stand up and pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And then he started talking about the devastating effects of the colonial uh, powers and how they put up all of these economic barriers to keep Africa from free trade, to keep Africa from evolving. And then behind that, uh, we had a piece by Dr. Arkana Kwa, the former ambassador uh, uh, to the African Union, and she spoke pretty much the same way about all the wealth that's being extracted from the continent. Uh, especially in the Congo. She says if you fly low over the Congo, you can see all the planes from Europe just taking all the diamonds out. But one thing she said I didn't know, Brother Lee, was that uh, for the the players, the powers that be in the Congo, when we look at the Congo and say, oh, you know, look at those Africans fighting each other, look at them employing uh, child soldiers. Uh, one of the strategies, she said, that they're using now is they use these satellites to determine where diamonds are. And if they discover that, there, that a village is sitting on top of a diamond uh, uh, resources or deposits, they will arm children with weapons and, and pay them to go in to literally kill and, and run people out of the village. And then they go in and start digging. Uh, so these are the kinds of, uh, you know, uh, crimes against humanity that have been occurring on the continent. And, you know, frankly, due to social media, we're, we're able to see these things, and we're able to see how the international media is silent about these uh, acts, uh, these criminal acts against our these governments. But yet, uh, when it comes to other things, starvation in Africa or Ebola or Charles Taylor, remember Charles Taylor, when it comes to all the negative things, we hear so much, but we never hear about these various forces that are undermining the continent. So this particular African Liberation Day, we know first you must liberate your mind in order to even consider what it would be like to continue to press on for your freedom. But all around the world, uh, African people 
uh, must unite. We are one. And, of course, I know there are other um, forces out there who say that, no, there should be a separation between Africans born in America and Africans on the continent, and other people should not get reparations. I'm kind of uh, talking about a number of items here that are literally uh, in in the social media space that are being discussed that you probably wouldn't hear on the mainstream media channels. Um, but anyway, the partnership is important. Malcolm spoke about it. He spoke about the importance of African unity. Garvey spoke about it. Every single leader we've had has talked and spoken and envisioned the importance of there being unity of Africans throughout the diaspora. We've heard songs about Bob Marley and other, Gil Scott Heron, and so many, Mary Makiba and Hiba Sakela and Phila Kuti. You know, we've heard this call, Roy Ayers, for, for unity among the African diaspora. And then we have a handful of people to get on social media and say, no, 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 the Africans are different from Jamaica. They're different from uh, Nigeria, Ghana. They're different from, well, I would say that we're different no matter where we're from. You know, uh, we're, we are. But at the same, by the same token, uh, we're, we're still from one place. So I'm not sure if that should be the point of discussion to talk about our differences. People are different. You know, I don't, I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue should be, you know, what are our commonalities that, that we can use in order for us to advance uh, our humanity. And so Dr. Clyde talks about how there are more uh, African doctors in New York City than there are in, in, in most countries in Africa and how, you know, we need to source the talent she calls it Wakanda Village. We need to build, and it makes sense, we need to build a universal Wakanda Village of various people with skills, from doctors to lawyers to engineers to dentists, uh, you know, no matter what your trade is. And we can do trade with one another no matter where we are. And, you know, so it's pretty much like Cuba is doing. If Cuba has the brigade that's going around the world helping people uh, with who are battling the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. Well, Dr. Claus has envisioned that the, we can create a, a similar model uh, to send to African countries who are trying to, uh, who seek rather to develop in certain areas. So if we have a country that needs uh, technical assistance with uh, technology or engineering, then you can source that talent from around the world to come in and train people that are there or work there or live there. It, it really makes sense because the world has, is, is now global. Everybody is doing global business except our folks. You know what I mean? Everybody is making sure uh, that they get money for their projects in America from where they're from, you know. And so for in, in Houston, it's interesting when you go to certain areas of town, you'll see entire banks that are set up to service people from their countries. You'll see Vietnamese banks and Chinese banks and, and, and uh, uh, banks from Mexico. It's, it's just absolutely amazing. So I, 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 see, I see this being an opportunity, a promise as well, uh, for us to 
uh, rebuild, to retool, to reassess uh, where we were in order for us to know where we're going. I know I've said a lot, and I'll stop here in case you have some other questions to, to ask me. But I'll, a couple more things. I also want to um, re, uh, pay homage and give respect to a few ancestors uh, that we've lost since the COVID moment and some that were not connected to COVID. Um, uh, and, and one has been uh, Ellis Marcellus. He was one of the early uh, elders, uh, uh, the patriarch of the Marcellus family, jazz musician, composer, influenced so many people in music. And of course, he made his transition in New Orleans a little bit after uh, the Mardi Gras. And, uh, of course, you know, and this disease has ravished New Orleans. All the tourists came down there. If you don't believe that the lockdown is, is safe, just imagine New Orleans, they didn't do a lockdown, and they kept on they kept on with the Mardi Gras schedule, and all these tourists came in and infected that city, and black people are paying a price for it. You know, they are really, they have really been Im- impacted in New Orleans. So uh, Ellis Marcellus, uh, <clears throat> the brother who made the song Soul Makasa, uh, Brother DeBango, I believe that's his last name, he passed away due to covid and he was living outside of France. I did a little brief piece on him. And there, there are many others. There's too many to even count. But I think we need to uh, hold sacred space in our prayers, in our meditation, for the many African lives uh, that have perished due to COVID-19. And many of these families can't even have uh, a, a decent burial because, of course, it, it's quite dangerous in some situations, to gather, to have people to gather at a grave site or a funeral home. So I know of uh, a couple of people who passed, and and they've had to have virtual funerals. Uh, In Dallas, no, I'm sorry, it was uh, San Antonio, uh, someone had the bright idea to create uh, a drive-in funeral home where people, just like the old-fashioned drive-in movie theaters, where people drive into the funeral home, and then, uh, you know, it's a big screen, and they stay in their cars, and they can hear everything uh, from the speakers. So that's the world, you know, that's the new normal uh, for us for a while. And so, uh, again, I want to encourage everyone, um, African Liberation Day, I would think that uh, we would want to encourage our families and the children to read. I remember seeing a presentation by Dr. Greg Carr, uh, professor of African Studies, uh, I think he's the chair of the African Studies Department at Howard, and he said that our folks are not reading, and we are getting a lot of our content uh, from the Internet. And uh, he said, while this well and fine, you're not going to find all the things that you need to know about our history and our struggle on the Internet. So he did this presentation about the and this was a African Liberation Day presentation he did a couple of years ago. You guys can find and it my, online as well. Uh, and my sister on that note talking about finding history. If we can, what we can do right now, we're going to pause for this cause. We're going to take a cultural break, and when we come back, we have another sister on the line who is definitely one understanding the necessity and importance of history. And she's going to give us an update. And uh, history, as always, on what's happening in Houston, what's happening in Haiti? We got Sissy Zilly Ganto is coming up.
We're going to pause for this cause. We're doing a post-African Liberation Day. We'll be having people from all around the country calling in, discussing and sharing their perspectives of what's going on and how it relates to this institution. So we're going to pause for the cause. When we come back, we're going to have Sister Zeli Danto going to give us an update on what's going on in Haiti. You listen to Africa on the Move. Our theme tonight is not yet Uhuru. This is a post-African Liberation Day, Palestine, Nakbak Day. We'll be right back. Welcome to Pilgrim and to the Buffalo, the once ruler plain. Like the vultures circling beneath the dark clouds, looking for the rain. Looking for the rain. Just like the city that stagger on the coastline in a nation that just can't stand much more. Like the forest buried beneath the highway, never had a chance to grow. Never had a chance to grow. And now it's winter. Winter in America. Yes, and all of the hills have been killed. Sent away. Yeah, but the people know, the people know it's winter. in America and ain't nobody fighting cause nobody knows what to say save your soul Lord knows from winter in America the constitution a noble piece of paper with free society The struggle but they died in vain And now democracy Is a ragtime on the corner Hoping for some rain It's looking like he's a hoping Hoping for some rain And I see the robbers First in barren treetops Watching last its races marching across the floor. But just like the peace behind that vanished in our dreams, never had a chance. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon as we do our yearly post African Liberation Day. We will be having various freedom fighters call in, sharing their information as it relates to interests of Africa, as well as humanity in general. We'd like for you to just tune in, step back, and indulge in this information, because you remember, we often tell you, well, information you cannot think, 
history of these various organization movement. Because without information, not only can you not think, but without organization, you cannot think clearly. Right now, when we talk about liberation, talk about African liberation, we can not never omit and forget to all Miami Haitian people. And right now, we're going to bring in our friend, Izeli Danto, with the Free Haitian Movement. She's going to give us an update on not only what's going on in Haiti and its people, but just dealing with this whole concept of not yet Yuhuru, not yet freedom, and not yet liberation. Sister Izeli, welcome to your post-African Liberation Day program. Thank you. Honor and respect to all the listeners and to you, Brother Lee, and your team who do this every year and are gracious enough to ask us to come and share the update. I am a free Haiti movement, and Haiti is not free. So not yet. Not yet. Yohuru. We're just not free. Um, but we are the free Haitian. Um who in our minds, in our spirit, in our soul, we fight every day with the Salines red and black. That is our flag. That is the blood of the ancestors. And it is the black of the original people on earth. Um, it is the flag that was added to by Marcus Garvey to make the red, black, and green. We are Pan-African from the very beginning of our history. And so on this day, as, as all of you are remembering liberation and our need for liberation, uh, IT has a special place because free Haiti has never stopped fighting since 1492 um, to our independence, to the destruction of Jean-Jacques Dessalines, um, the greatest hero who ever lived, the one black man who freed um, Africans and turned the paradigm from slavery to master of ourselves. Um, he is the one that Free Haiti um, stands with. And in this time of um, this new HIV this new generation of uh, Anthony Fauci, Big Pharma, Bill Gates, disease, the Kissinger depopulation plan. We, I think, are especially qualified and expert at fighting this death because they use Haiti as their laboratory. Um, this last week, on a couple of weeks ago, April 20th, marked the 30th anniversary of when Anthony Fauci, who is now the head of Trump's coronavirus task force and the person who's making the various pronouncements as to um, how America should uh, handle this crisis. And as you all know, 100,000 Americans are dead at the moment in, order, in terms of their figures. In IT, in Haiti, the land I was born um, they haven't reached us yet, but they are doing everything to actually do that. Um, there's about 20 or so um, COVID-19 deaths in IT at the moment. But um, even though the frontiers have been closed, both um, towards the, uh, the, the 
East, where the Dominican Republic is, and of course with planes, America has not stopped deporting Haitians into Haiti, and many of them um, have been tested positive, um, even though being quarantined. So this is what we say of Free Haiti. This is like a very interesting time for us because we went through cholera. Um, And so we know what it means to die and not have your family be there. Um, The world really never paid attention while we were suffering to cholera. The the world really never paid attention while we went after Obama, who was president at that time. Um, He came into court, essentially, and and, um, stood on the side of the U.N. And I know you guys know that the United Nations brought cholera to Haiti after the earthquake. So we have some experience with contagious diseases and the um, the West's intentional um, path to let it spread in our community. Because right now um, in the United States and New York is a very large, large. Um, there are about four to five million Haitians abroad. Um, the official figures if you're counting those who are not illegal, is is three point five, you know. But we know that there's many more than three point five four million Haitians, and that's almost twenty five percent of the population of Haitians that are at home. Many of them work on these frontline occupations, and so they are in the United States getting exposed and dying. They work at the low level. Um, <clears throat> hospital uh, jobs, they are um, housekeepers, they are um, CNAs, they are um, the folks that take care of old folks and old folk homes. Um, so, and you know that a lot of the, um, it's almost an epidemic of older Americans dying in nursing homes. Um, so we have Haitians dying in nursing homes. We have Haitian nurses, Haitian doctors, or um, working on the front lines in New York. Um, so we have been going through a lot. Um, so in addition to um, Haiti and the imperialism that we deal with in Haiti, um, because um, under the bipartisanship of U.S. imperialism for the last 30 years, I've been fighting for against whether it was the Republicans or the demon rats, the Republicans or the demon rats, either one of them, um, their policy abroad in terms of imperialism, as you all can see with, with Venezuela, so obviously right now, is the same. So in Haiti, they put in a puppet government. His name is um, Mr. Jovenel Moise. He is currently a dictator in the manner of Duvalier. As you all know, the United States supported Duvalier against the um, activism of the Haitian people. So this is the new Duvalier, and his name is Jovenel Moïse. A couple of things I'd like to say um, in terms of Pan-Africanism. When the Haitian Revolution happened, and the template we follow by Free Haiti, how we fight, we say, This is in the King Congo language. And back in 1791, when the Africans were being enslaved, 
Um, they all gathered together in one space and said, live free or die, and they began the Haitian Revolution, and that was the call. Kangamundele would mean we had to stop the global elite, like the Bill Gates, like the Anthony Fauci. These are lifers. These are people for, like Anthony Fauci, who's been in um, the NIH, which is the National Institute of Health in the United States, along with the CDC and the NIAID, which is the National Institute of Infectious Diseases and Allergies. This is Anthony Fauci. He's a lifer. He's been there since he's been the head of the um, contagious disease section of the health department of the United States since 1984. So we're talking about 40 years. In those 40 years, he's been responsible for the spread of what they call HIV AIDS from a specifically uh, 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 white homosexual men to the destruction of South Africa after South Africa made itself free in revenge. Um, these were what they used the UN for. So here's um, what we do at the Free Haiti Movement. We say the day the UN falls, I hope somebody says my name because that's all I live for. So when I see that the WHO, World Health Organization, um, is making policy for how black and all people are supposed to use medicine or do with their foul medicine, we know who they are. We have been the petri dish. We've been the laboratory. Um, when they wanted to test the pill 60 years ago, they came to Haitian women. When they wanted to uh, test the Depo-Provera, they came to Haitian women. When they wanted to test the neo-tetanus dot vaccine, they came to Haitian women. And we, have, we are defenseless. There are no one out here um, representing us. Even the black males are out here talking about all sorts of ideology. But in Haiti, um, it is a black man named Bill Pop. We say their names because we can't deal with abstracts. I don't deal with abstracts. I know exactly who our enemy is because the, 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 when the Africans got um, at Boakayima to start the Haitian Revolution, they knew who the enemy was. This is our big problem today. We actually don't name the enemy. We're all into ideology. We don't name the enemy. We name the enemy as Free Haiti. Um, the Free Haiti movement that I run, we name them. So with respect to Kanga Mandela, it means to stop the colonist in all his forms. Um, Kanga Bafioti means to stop his black collaborators. Um, uh, obviously, if Cuba had not stopped the black collaborators, they would, they, uh, Castro brothers, Castro would never have gone through and continued, because when the black collaborators stay within your realm, they will destroy you from the inside. That's the lesson of the Haitian Revolution. And so we have so many black collaborators, like, for instance, Chauvenel Moise, who right now is a dictator running Haiti on behalf of who in the UN and the Bill Gates and the Bill Pop. Bill Pop is a Cornell-educated doctor, the same way Duvalier was a doctor, used the same patterns. Because if you destroy someone's ability to fight you by giving them all sorts of diseases with Monsanto, um, Monsanto hybrid seeds and fertilizer and glyphosate and fluoride and um, nanoparticles on the air um, that destroys your ability to touch your soul because your body is unable to function, then you have a passive 
society, and we have a passive society all over the world. And only a few of us, I have learned in the 30 years that I've been doing this, only a few of us are able to look at evil, don't become evil, and don't um, live with it, um, compromise with it. Um, And those few of us, we are part of what they call ESLI Network and Haiti Movement, and we look at the names of those who have come to kill us. And today, with COVID-19, we went back. Like I said, I go back to that bridge in Brooklyn when Haitians stood up and said no when Anthony Fauci and the CDC and the FDA gave a blackface to disease, HIV AIDS. They said it was a Haitian who came from Haiti that brought it to America and infected the world. We said no. We have been fighting that ever since. And I promise you, their patterns do not change. Though they started this uh, laboratory-created uh, coronavirus somewhere um, from Port Detroit to Wuhan, China, they will run around and get to Africa. They will run around and get to Haiti. And before this is over, they will say that we are the ones that infected them. And we must remember that when, when it started in, 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 in um, New York, it was New Rochelle, a pretty white um, state over there, and it was, it, was, it, it was at a temple, at a rabbi temple. People will forget that. The first case of coronavirus in Haiti was a Belgian who came into Haiti and infected the people. The same way they came into Haiti back in the 1980s, the homosexuals came and they infected the black men in Haiti. And then they turned around and said it was black men that gave it to America. So that's what we have to look forward to. Um, and so what we do is name those folks. Bill Pop right now, long he is a he is a recipient of the Bill Gates Foundation Award. He's a recipient of the Clinton Global Foundation Million Dollar Award for all the all of the deaths this man has been responsible for as the head of HIV AIDS medicine in Haiti, which comes from the big pharma that Anthony Fauci has many patents on. So they have on these cures that they create uh, to counter disease that they unleash. And so they play um, hero-villain. They play both roles. They will destroy your country, get rid of a popular elected government, bring you dictatorship, and then they will say they're coming in to, to bring the U.N. in to bring back order and bring back democracy. This is the this is what they do. And because we have so many feeble-minded black people out here, especially the, the academics and black intellectuals, we never go to the crux of the issue, that the white man plays both roles. And at this moment, uh, we have uh, black collaborators with regards to this COVID-19 who are, who are being put in the front um, to, to, to unleash themselves on Africa and to unleash themselves in Haiti and the Caribbean. And for Haiti, as I said, we know it's Bill Pop. We know he is he's from, he originally graduated in 1970, back in 1970s. Um, I'm Cornell. We know that he's connected to um, uh, the Bill Gates, the Paul Farmer, that's the other one, the big one in Haiti. And what you all have to remember, especially Americans, black Americans, and living in Massachusetts is that we have dealt with Paul Farmer for like 30 years now. We have been telling people that this man is control opposition. He is a death plan person. He just got a contract 
with regards to COVID-19 to do something called contact tracing. This doctor is uh, uh, elevated by the black collaborators as God in Haiti. Um, My name is like mud because they're always coming after me because uh, I am denouncing their God. Well, their God today has been given a billion-dollar contract in Massachusetts, United States, to do something called COVID-19 contact tracing. And believe me, you do not want this man knocking on your door asking you who your contacts have been, if you've been infected, and then preparing you for his Bill Gates and um, um, other laboratory friends to come um, and mine your information but for big fintech because information right now in this age of remote working and this age of internet where we all connected to that matrix, they can, they can, they, they, this is what that contact tracing is about. And it's farmer and you all need to put his name down because once he finished destroying Haiti, he went to Rwanda and he has exactly the same thing. And now imperialism that was being done to IET in Haiti and the Caribbean is now in the United States. I never thought I would live to see it, but I have seen, I see the same people, the same Bill Gates, Anthony Fauci, Paul Farmer. They're pushing not the cure to the disease that they will unleash on everybody, but they're pushing contact tracing so that they can control you further. Um, here's the answer. There are two answers that I have seen in my frontline work in the last two months, one is doctors that I know are using hydro hydroxychloroquine with the zinc and the azeo. I can't say that word. The other thing they they uh, azy. Let's put azy, but it's a longer name. Those three things have helped people who have gotten this infection. The other thing that is help, obviously, you all know. Um, and I, 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 I beg you, anyone who is in contact whatsoever with the president of Madagascar, for me, he's the star of this age for what he has come up with and said, you know, we are going to do our natural cures. He has told the World Health Organization to take a long walk on a short pier. He has him and the Tanzania president are heroes to us at Free Haiti. Um, he has put together COVID, COVID organics, which is a natural plant that they use. And Madagascar today has zero, zero death because he's using his own COVID organics. Um, and I'm showing you what has worked. If I was a black person in America or anywhere in the world, I would never go to any of their hospitals, and I, they can come and take my license. I do know who, what and who they are. If you think you have any infection in terms of pneumonia and they put you on a ventilator, it, it's unlikely that you're going to have a very good chance of living. In my experience in the last two months, because we have dealt with crisis after crisis, um, I have seen people um, who recover with our natural remedies, the natural remedies that your grand grandfans um, told you about. It's no difference. All Africans know what they are. But the two, the synthetic one that has worked is the hydrochloride, the, the one that Trump is taking, okay? 
the hydroxychloroquine. I know Haitian doctors. I represent many of them. I mean, the DEA comes knocking on their door because they do not want them to 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 make the prescription. But in the Caribbean in Haiti and within my own community, that's what I have seen that works. I can't speak for, I'm not saying total 100%. It works a whole lot better than the ones that went to the hospital. The second thing is COVID organics. I, don't, I know he's put out the, the um, recipe. So as a healer, my name is Esli Dantal, and that's what we do as a healer, not just a warrior. I would recommend that the black community in America who is going to be abandoned and destroyed and killed so that they can feed their organ trafficking pipeline, they could feed their uh, 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 Medicaid pipeline, because I know you all know that $13,000 is what each doctor gets if they make a COVID-19 diagnosis in the hospital from Medicare, and what they get extra in addition to everything else is almost $40,000 if they put you on a ventilator. So so you can decide for yourself or you can sit around listening to the shame stream media. They are making money by your sickness. So I suggest that you look at the hydro, you, you find a doctor who can figure out a way to get that to our community if necessary, but definitely we can look at our own organic medicine. That's what I have used for people that uh, we have had to deal with um, because, for instance, in New York, as you all know, they, what they did, uh, we have a lot of Haitian nurses. They were, they were um, incentivizing them with $200 an hour for them to come to work on the front line. And a lot of people were doing that and doing 13-hour shifts and then go to sleep for two hours and do another 13-hour shift. We tried as hard as we can to tell these doctors and nurses that it's not worth your life because once your immune system goes down, you are more susceptible to this disease. This disease is rapidly changing. What I saw two months ago, I see something different happening right now. So it is, hap- it is changing. But I know that two months ago, um, we, I know that the nurses are, are not doing more than two shifts or they're trying not to because it's not worth it, bringing back infection to their community or um, bringing down their um, uh, system. Yes. Okay, but since he's in, we're going to have to actually let's pause for a second. We have another um, invitee who wants to come in and give us an update on what's going on with their movement. And you still the land, all of y'all still the land. We'll come back then, we'll open up to our panelists to ask the issues and questions they'd like to raise. But right now, we're going to bring in our brother Obi Bunu. He's an organizer and represents many um, institutions. Was it the Mass Children and Children History and Theater Company or the Mass Emphasis Private Action Creative Youth Brigade or the Zimbabwe Cuban Friendship Association? We'd like for him to give us an update, give us a perspective on this year's theme, Not Yet Yuhuru, Not Yet Freedom, Not Yet Liberation, and what's going on in his movement and his work. Welcome, Brother Obi. Welcome to our Post African um, Liberation Day, Palestine Day. Yeah, um, good evening. How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. How you doing, brother? Glad to be on tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, Glad to have um, you. Give the people some information that, yeah. they get, that they can use. Oh, cool. Um, well, yesterday, um, 
the Mass Emphasis Positive Action and Creativity Youth Brigade um, launched their video documentary appeal, which complements the appeal of the Get Out of Cuba Way uh, movement. Was that a sister? Was that Sister Zeely that I heard talking? Yes, it was. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, we we're grateful to be on with her because she, um, through our brother Kwaku Lumumba in Atlanta, Georgia, signed on to the appeal. Um, and that's the Get Out of Cuba Way campaign and movement where we are focusing on four things. Um, for the Henry Reeves um, International Medical Brigade to come to the United States and to provide medical treatment to people who are suffering from the COVID-19 pandemic and the most deadly manifestation of it, the COVID-2 SARS. Um, they would also be providing treatment, I mean training, to the medical personnel who are obviously overwhelmed <laughs> by the situation. Number three, they would work in conjunction with the Black Nurses Association, American Medical Association, and the National Medical Association, which is still going strong on our behalf since 1896. And, um, of course, the usage of interferon alpha 2B, because we know that um, when we say that, though, some of our people are would rather take on the New York Police Department with a butter knife and go into hospitals because of things like the Tuskegee experiment, because of what uh, Native American sisters and brothers were subjected to by Lord Jeffrey Amherst with the blankets and the smallpox. But this is a genuine um, dynamic in relationship to treatment, and this is also an opportunity for those in our community who are more embracing of homeopathic remedies to develop hands-on relations with Cuba's green medicine um, wing of their uh, Ministry of Public Health as they are the first country in the Americas to adopt um, green medicine and make it part of their national health policy. Um, But today we wanted to come on to say, as a follow-up to the video mini-doc by the children, as a follow-up to the initial appeal that we launched a month ago, which was also a working tribute to the great William Worthy and the welcoming appeal that he had declaring our support to Cuba when Comandante Fidel first came to Harlem in 1960, first came to the United Nations. But um, we are um, dealing with um, something now that we're calling for, a cultural and artistic tribute to Cuba. And the theme of it is Africa and the World Thanks Cuba. So on July 26th weekend, we are calling for artists all over the world to participate in that. We can have a virtual, artistic, and cultural tribute to Cuba. Um, And we will use that as a platform to enhance the most consistent solidarity efforts, whether it's our effort to eventually create a resource pool to begin to finance their work on the African continent, which is an alternative to the treacherous United States Agency for International Development, which is an alternative to... um, Doctors Without Borders, and um, the American Red Cross Association, which at any given moment can decide it's time to behave more like a CIA agent or an FBI International Terrorist Division officer. So we feel that, um, and then we will give different organizations that have ties to them a chance to do PSAs in between the entertainment. And of course, this is an extension of our music project, Battlecraft to Cuba and Zimbabwe, where we did over 100 um, songs on three albums between 2013 and 2016. And um, so we really want to um, 
promote that very heavily. So we're asking um, the different friends, comrades of Cuba to become involved in that activity right there. So, um, and people can check out the many documentaries that these children did such a magnificent job of putting together. That'll be available for people um, come tomorrow. We already are distributing it on the internet and different friends and supporters of Cuba's revolutionary efforts have posted that. So that's available. And um, the only thing I can say is while we always have loved African Liberation Day because it's always been a platform for the executors of the ideas, we're a little bit disappointed because um, this was an opportunity. If everything had gone according to plan, we had four plays set up yesterday. We were going to do a play in D.C. called Ready for the Revolution, and it was a play about the life of Akme Sekouturé leader of the Guinean Revolution, founder of the Democratic Party of Guinea, the first political party as part of the anti-colonial movement in Africa. We were going to do a play in Guyana about the division between Walter Rodney and Forbes Burnham. We were going to do a play in Haiti for their African Liberation Day celebration called Den Parsley about the 1937 Parsley Massacre that took place in the Dominican Republic. And we were going to do a play in L.A. with some young people called Decolonization, Disconnection, and Repair. And that was our tribute to Venezuela, as they are the hub of the Afro-descendant movement. So that's what we have going on right now in a nutshell. And we're thankful that this important weekend, so many people are reaching out to us to give us platforms to share our labor and share our service. That's all we got for tonight. Thank you, brother. Hope you always an update on your work and Continue to do what you do. You're serving humanity and your people very well. We thank you, and we'll yeah, continue we right now. We try our best. Okay. What we're going to do right now, <laughs> we're going to bring in our panelists who've been waiting for a while. We're going to bring them in, and they may want to ask questions or even talk about how they have viewed this year African Liberation Day so far and give their thoughts on this, on this whole theme of not yet rural, not yet freedom, not yet liberation. We bring in Brother Haki, Brother Haki. Welcome to Post Liberation Day, Palestine Day. So far, what you heard? Uh, so far, what you have participated? What are some of your thoughts? No, I, I thought what I heard was uh, very, very um, well researched. I think people had some very germane points, and I really appreciate it a great deal. Let me have a specific question for uh, Brother, for the Brother uh, with the Peace Movement. The first, Who is the first, that? The first guest. I have a question for you, brother. Yes. Okay, I got a okay, question for you. Okay. Uh, here's the thing. You know, one of the things, some groups in the peace movement have this position that they take, that the movement has to be philosophically peaceful, whatever that means. But the problem I have with tactically, when you start extending uh, this notion in terms of peace to all movements, I have philosophically a real problem with that. This notion that, that in terms of bringing about you know, uh, you know, some type of uh, some type of resolution to the problem that you face that it has to be done in a peaceful manner. I I think it sort of to a large extent uh, makes it uh, problematic in terms of the opp- the opportunity to actually conclude uh, a struggle in terms of trying to gain, uh, you know, uh, your uh, your, uh, your your independence. So I just want him to respond. I want him to speculate a bit in terms of why is it that people, so many in the um, peace movement, are adamant. That any type of uh, tactical move by organizations must be done in quote unquote a peaceful manner. Can he, maybe he can speculate and explain to me what is the rationale behind that? Tom, 
I I can I can try to do that. I mean, I I've had arguments with some of the pacifist groups, uh, particularly War Resisters League, for, for many years. And and you know, frankly, after years, I, I I gave up. A lot of it had to do with you know, support for liberation struggles and the idea that. You know, pacifism is an absolute, and that uh, the the ANC using force is the equivalent of the Afrikaners using force. And you know, I and I would talk until I was blue in the face that there there's such a thing as you know force of oppression. You're using force in order to dictate and take what you want. I mean, that's what the capitalists do. That's what the corporatists do. Uh, the ANC, the other liberation struggles, uh, the Black Panthers, American Indian Movement, uh, 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 IRA, and, and it goes on and on and on, you know, are not using force to dictate control over somebody else and to, you know, to, to, to take uh, resources. They are... Uh, using force and 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 if you talk to virtually anybody, uh, and I you know I've known a number of people in the uh, African National Congress and other liberation movements over the years, and when it comes to a question of armed struggle, it's always a question of tactics. Sometimes armed struggle is. Necessary. It's a necessary component to successful revolution. Other times, uh, it, it's 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 not a successful tactic, and it can get you in trouble. And what you need to do instead is maybe do coalition politics and so on. So the, your your point is absolutely correct. I would say this, speaking, you know, as uh, an, an ally of the of the liberation movements and an ally of uh, AAPRPGC that uh, uh, most overwhelmingly these uh, groups and individuals that uh, are arguing for pacifism, number one, uh, they're, they're overwhelmingly white, not exclusively so. There, there are always, uh, you know, any number of black um, uh, window dressing to, uh, to, to take up their argument, but the, the the other thing is that they're virtually all of them they're are they're really arguing from a position of privilege because it's not their skin in the game. They're not the ones that are being killed. So I, this is you know I'm not really an expert on the theory of nonviolence, but you know I'm I, I hope that maybe helps a little bit. Okay, brother Haki. Let's bring in Brother Lewis Wolf from Covert Action. We would like to give him a chance to speak to this year's theme, Not Yet Rule, Not Yet Freedom, Not Yet Liberation. Give us an update on his movement and work that he's doing in the community. Welcome, Brother Lewis Wolf from Covert Action. Thank you, Lee, very, very much, and I'm privileged to be part of this call. Um, I really thank you for all these years of work you've been doing in the community. Uh, from Richmond and uh, across the wet width and breadth of, of the of this uh, world we're struggling against imperialism um, and against a regime and now in the White House which knows nothing 
but uh, privilege and nothing but sickness, mental illness, and I could go on. But I just want to give tribute to the work that you're doing uh, and to let you know that uh, I and my colleagues with the magazine Covert Action Magazine, <clears throat> which we started in 1978, um, uh, led by the, the late Philip Agee, who was in the CIA, and he was one of the very first whistleblowers uh, against the CIA, and he wrote several books. Um, but I want to make clear that what we're trying to do now is to take up the struggle against uh, not only imperialism, but against a, an ideology which is called, um, you know, it's not just privilege, white privilege, or just privilege. It's called um, uh, we, are, we, are the one, we are the sainted nation. We are the, the people saving the world, we, the United States. Um, and it's, it's called entitlement, and it says that the, we, this is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Every president in our lifetime has said those almost magic words. It's, it's required statement from every president, starting uh, from World War II on, um, including Obama, including Carter, and certainly including this man. Um, and so let's not forget that that leaves out uh, 193 other countries uh, to say we are we are the best we are the the greatest and uh, uh, unfortunately the truth is quite different and the truth is that the United States has the role in this country in this world of of destroying the the light, right to life that people have in other countries and we're taking them down. I need not point out that, that under President Obama, who started something called AFRICOM, the Africa Command, uh, there are now, I think it's uh, 28 or 32 countries in Africa, which are now, they are U.S. bases in Africa today as we speak. Um, they're not there for innocent purposes. They are there to once again steal the resources of Africa. Um, I don't have to say that, for example, the, the countries in Africa that have oil mainly are Nigeria, Libya, and Algeria. Uh, in Congo, there there's all these extraordinary resources, iron ore, platinum, diamonds, gold, uranium, cobalt, and more. And And they're not... The United States is not saying... It's your, those are your resources, not for us. No, it's the other way around. And that's what the CIA is in business for, to steal the resources of other countries um, around the world. And um, one of the things I learned from Philip Agee, uh, among many things, was that he said, I, I'm not going to allow myself to be paranoid. If I, if, and I always remember, he said, I don't want to look behind me and see who's following me because if I do, I'm going to fall and hit my head and be useless in my work. Uh, my father taught me something else, which applies today to this man in the White House. When you point at somebody, you've got, what do you have pointed back at you? Three fingers right back at you. 
And so uh, what I'm trying to point out here is that uh, the United States still continues to see itself as the savior of the world. Well, the United States, through its military and its uh, its so-called black budget, um, which includes the CIA, I should say, not just the Pentagon, uh, is is designed to to perpetuate uh, U- U.S. control around the world, even including its allies, um, you know, those in in Western Europe uh, in, in the past. Many of them are deemed by by this government. Uh, as to one degree or another, as enemies or opposite, the opposition, when they used to be allies. Think about that. Um, and I, I just want to point your, your listeners, Lee, to the magazine we are producing. It's called Covert Action Magazine. When we used to publish it as a printed magazine for 27 years, from 1978 to 2005, unfortunately then... My, my first wife was dying of kidney cancer, and then I lost a leg to amputation. So we had to, you know, kind of put it on the shelf. But in 2017, we've relaunched the magazine, and your listeners can go to uh, our website, covertactionmagazine.com. That's all one word, covertactionmagazine.com. So I really uh, want to thank you, Lee, for everything you do, and your listeners are very educated people, people that really are following uh, the patterns, the very real patterns of American imperialism in this world. And thank you very much for this time. Thank you. And we'd like to thank you, Brother Lou, for all the work that you do. And one of the most interesting magazines that I ever read 20, 30 years ago was Cobra Action. And so it inspired me to want to continue to do the kind of work that I do. So we thank you for all that you have done. And, and continue to do. We thank you. Thank you. What we're going to do right now, we're going to pause the call, go down the road of liberation through culture. When we come back, we can come back with Sister Ezeli. We can come back with Brother John. And we can come back with Brother Hunter. And our political panelists, we're going to continue to discuss this whole question. Not yet, Uru. This is a post-African Liberation Day, Palestine Day program. We'll be right back. Don't you go nowhere.
Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. You are listening to Right Time, Mighty Dama. We are continuing our yearly annual post-African Liberation Day, Palestine, Makbar Day. Right now, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the organ- one of the organizations that are very well known for hosting and sponsoring and creating this particular African Liberation Day. That is all African people's revolutionary part of GC. We're going to bring on one of its members and go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, one of the things we'd like to ask you is that why y'all chose the theme, Not Yet You Rule, and how do you view the success of African Liberation Day this weekend based upon y'all goals and objectives? Uh, certainly. Uh, could I, uh, could I um, uh, share a statement that a brother out of Cameroon wrote? especially for African Liberation Day, Palestine Day? The mic is yours. The mic is yours, my brother. Okay. Emmanuel Tangum Monkem of the Academic and Career Initiative of Cameroon uh, shared uh, this statement, which we did not have a chance to present. Uh, uh, Here it goes. My cry for the sons and daughters of Mother Africa. More than 60 years after the advent of independence, we are beginning to witness the glimpse of the dawn of a new day for Africa. I was so excited when I got news this week that the economic community of West African states, ECOWAS, is finally stepping out of the French franc zone to establish a new currency the ECO, and a regional, uh, a regional finance reserve that wouldn't be directly controlled by Europe. There's hope that the Central African states would do the same thing too. We long for Africa to be fully free and determine its own future. The challenges of tribalism, nepotism, sectarianism, added to the age-long Western palatine dictatorship in Africa still continue to make Africa's young people prefer to perish in the Mediterranean Sea in search of greater pastures, of greener pastures in Europe, rather than stay back at home. We are warriors, but we have the venom of hatred running in our systems, and this makes us rise against one another. This deadly seed was sown by the colonizers who taught us divide and rule and how to take advantage of one another's weaknesses. To make matters worse, we have been trained in our academic systems to view the Western world as a better place, and this drives a majority of our people to dislike our own heritage. We have borrowed the white man's way of speaking and doing things and further contribute to delay Africa's unification. Freedom will begin to become a reality when Africans will begin to realize our uniqueness and not attempting to put us on a scale in comparison with the rest of the world. We are blessed with natural resources, and we are gifted people. We must not succumb to the hate of the West to attempt to do things their way. Let's be unique as God made us to be. We have to join forces continue to educate the younger generation on the important value that each uh, one of us possesses and encourage everyone to make a meaningful investment toward the development 
of Africa. Everyone matters in this struggle, and education is the driver that, if well adapted, will be of great help to the African liberation dream. Our young people have inherited a legacy, a legacy of negative criticism that needs to be handled with love and tolerance. The ABC syndrome, accusing, blaming, and condemning, is eating up our youth population. We act oftentimes even before we sit down to carefully analyze issues and take rational decisions concerning our lives, the future, and others. Let love lead. I wanted to share that uh, because it speaks to one of the reasons why you chose this theme. Uh, Our uh, continued oppression uh, under all manifestations of capitalism, including imperialism, uh, Zionism, neocolonialism, and settler colonialism are the reasons why we as a people are not yet free and our land is not yet free. And that's why we chose this theme, and uh, because we have to organize in order to create that new that reality. And uh, I think uh, 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 Sister Akua was correct. We have to educate ourselves and I and and also our youth in order in, in order to bring about. Uh, the necessary organization that's going to create the conditions for our liberation. Okay, any questions or comments for the for the guest today, Brother Anthony? Yes. And your assessment um, on this year after Liberation Day? Uh, yes. Um, I thought, uh, 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 let's see, uh, I have a, a one uh, a question uh uh, a comment I have is that uh, our uh, our sisters uh, bear, uh, bear, bear, bear the and and our youth bear the brunt of our oppression today. And uh, I want to com- uh, one comment I wonder if I would like uh, uh, you know some of I guess to address is the issue of uh, you know the uh, the exploitation that our sisters are confronted with. And also the 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 the, the, the and the, the violence perpetrated against them, which they we seem to bear the brunt of. Susie so Zilli, I take that question directly at you. Your response? Yes, thank you so very much for asking that. Yes, um, I know both in the United States and in Haiti that black women's bodies are the petri dish for the medical establishment. They have, in Haiti, um, given us the highest cervical cancer rate in the world. Um, Black women are, for the first time for many years, um, being given drugs that make them infertile, um, and so on. So we we do... um, deal with medical establishment from, I know you all have read Medical Apartheid and Henrietta Lakes and so on. Um, So that's one part of it. Another part of it, of course, is patriarchy um, that would find the voices of others louder than us, even on our own issues. 
um, deal with that on a consistent basis. People think Esri Dalgal is a man um, if they just read my, my works and have never seen a video. Um, so we, we go through all of that. And, of course, right now with COVID-19 um, specifically, there's a lot of uh, domestic violence in the home. Um, and women are sort of the chief uh, folks uh, attempting to take care of the children um, who are now out of school. Um, and um, so we're facing that on a, on a very real level. I think that there are opportunities with this, um, with this, with this, there are opportunities for those who, for instance, are doing homeschooling um, to reach out to some of the um, poorer women who may not have access, access to technology, access to, you know, the, the saddest thing I've ever read when this thing started was how um, many of the school children um, who stopped going to school didn't have a meal. Um, so that brings to reality uh, our failure to provide our own food sovereignty for our own community. And I think this is something we need to really look at because that's part of the reasons why we have a whole bunch of people watching Atlanta Housewives and Scandal and so forth. You know, they've been dumbed down. Um, and 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 they deal with this immediate reality of 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 you know whatever it is that they put on television for them. So I think that there's an opportunity for us to really look as a community, you know, how our children are being educated, who are educating our, our children, um, and what is it we can do. Um, you all remember that until they destroyed the, the Black Panther Party, it was a great part of what they were doing, um, the, the meal sovereignty. And we have a whole bunch of, of, of black farmers whose foods are being destroyed right now because they can't get them to market. But then we have children in the inner cities um, getting this packaged Monsanto food that's going to kill them anyway. So I think we, we really do need to go back to, and this is, I guess, my my thing is that, you know, um, we talk about Pan-Africanism. We talk about all of these theories of, of um, that are so abstract when our children not only are dying from lack of nutrition, um, our women are dying from the medicine that they are faced with in the system of Medicare, Medicaid. Um, they, are, they are first put on all those sugars and medicine, um, diabetes and high blood pressure and so on. Um, in ways that those of us who do um, know the Cuban doctors and who do know the green uh, ways of, of healing, um, you know, need to bring to our community. So I, I think that we, we, we need to look at how the, the weakest in our society are being affected in general by the big agribusiness, um, big um, pharma, and how right now with this concept, contact tracing, it's going to be even worse because um, the the white liberals who sort of try to run our liberation, uh, I run into them all day long in Haiti. Um, they're the ones that, Paul Former is the guy that speaks for Haiti and, and the ones that you see over at Democracy Now, you're not going to see as we don't and they just have taken over our voices and then they'll find a PhD academic who's a grant whore getting grants 
because they're saying what is needed to be said by the Bill Gates and the um, foundation folks and the UN NGOs. So I think that um, there are important opportunities now um, for um, the children who are being educated and miseducated to use this time um, to be educated that we could, you know, I know I, I would be welcome to tell them about Haitian history in, in, in a process so that they understand who and what they are. Um, and those of us who can do that. And then the food, because you, you can't really get a child's attention when they are, they are hungry um, or they are on a, you know, all of the various stuff that they put onto our young boys um, and black women, losing their children not only to the school system and the mass incarceration system, but the epidemic of sexual slavery in our community is so silent and so devastating, and no one seems to understand it. I have had to work um, to bring to court many pedophiles that come to Haiti um, to, to, to run orphanages. Um, and then they, they gorge on black boys. Um, and I, I, I think these are all issues that we really need to start talking about specifics, um, about why, for instance, a lot of these black collaborating um, uh, 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 folks, you know, there's 54 nations in, in Africa, um, and many of these black guys who are running it, they're collaborators with the empire. If you look down their history, um, they started in those religious schools and those other spaces where the Jesuits came and sodomized them. I know that's what happened to Michel Madeli in, in IET. I know that's what's happening to this guy now who's the puppet. These guys are trained and sodomized, and then they become this Stockholm Syndrome guy who has – has been abused as a child, and so they become, uh, you know, complicit in their own oppression, and we need to look deeply into how sex sex is being used to destroy our community with the black collaborators, and they themselves are are, um, victims. And I see that with black boys and and IET. I I see the, the, the industry of black sexual slavery, especially for young black boys, um, and it's something that I think we need to, to, to look into because a lot of times I'm looking for a, a man to, 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 to help me with these young black boys who have been uh, uh, abused since they were six, six years old by the orphan, by the white orphan person who comes in um, and he's been already uh, 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 you know, indicted in some place in America, but then they go to Africa and there's just – they're fed to our children. So I see all those things. I, I, I know how hard that they are. And I would love to see more people talking about how we need to go from the beginning, from the education of that child to that child's um, uh, uh, health, to that child's uh, nutrition, and to who around that child is or might be abusing them, things that come way back from our slavery days that, that we're not looking at. And then from the added um, invasion of uh, those who come in to take uh, advantage of the week. Okay, we'll go now to Brother Maurice. Brother Maurice, you have been participating in several 
program this weekend as it relates to African Liberation Day, Palestine Day. Here are some of your thoughts and reflections of some things that stood out the most for you. And if you have any questions or comments, what AID yourself? Uh, I would like uh, to ask a uh, comment, a brief, I mean, a brief question um, to the presenters to the, uh, tonight. Uh, first of all, I want to say I want to thank them for all of their work and the struggle for African people, for our people and poor people. Uh, across the world and on the continent. Um, in relation to uh, African Liberation Day, I wanted to ask uh, the, the presenters um, uh, uh, to get an idea of how are they are uh, incorporating uh, the works of Kwame Nkrumah or Nkrumahism, the uh, teachers of Kwame Nkrumah in their work, in their everyday work. And I will conclude by your question, by answering your question, Brother uh, African, that uh, my experience was um, seeing uh, or participating with African Liberation Day online and on the phone has been a success. Um, from I speak for AAPRPDC. I love the uh, I love how you how you all share the um, organization of the presenters who are speaking tonight. The presenters who are who was presenting all you know all this weekend since Friday. I love the uh, layout and the format of you know having their um, organizations available. I now have them saved in my favorites. But I conclude by saying that, and uh, nowhere not yet, Yahuru, we got to keep fighting. And I just want to salute uh, the brothers and sisters, comrades, that was here tonight. And thank you for all your work, and, and please continue to struggle for it. Thank you. Okay. Was there any question you had for the guest, Brother Maurice? Yes. Uh, the question that I, I had asked was I wanted to, to – um, Wanted to know how they are incorporating um, the studies of Kwame Nkrumah and Kwameism in their works, in um, their everyday works. Let's start with John. John, your response to the question first. See what else, John? Okay, thank you very long, Brother John. Let's go. So sincerely, you got the, the the essence of the question. Yes, I mean it's about the collective, not the individual good. I think part of what the Black collaborators do and why they are the tokens used by imperialism is that it's always about um, the first Black that did this, the first you know within their cap- the capitalist system. So um, for us as Africans, um, we are a people who work for the common good. And I think that's one of the major things um, that all the Pan-African leaders um, talked about, you know, not just Nakuma, because Desaline was the original Pan-Africanist, right? Desaline was the first one. He wrote to Jefferson and said, I will pay you um, for every African that's living in the United States. I will pay you for it. And, he offered $40 a head to every captain who was bringing in enslaved Africans to the Carolinas and to the Caribbean. So I think that, that you know, I, can't, I come from a country where it's about um, black empowerment and the collective good of um, the black race and the black woman's children. And, I, I, you know, that's what we do every day is look at the collective good and specifically um, what our future is going to look like with regards to women and children. 
So, so I was muted. Um, Lee, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Yes, okay, we can. Sorry about that. So my my response is really simple: is that Kwame Nkrumah is a major influence on on my thinking, and I use it all the time indirectly. My my colleagues, that we don't we don't you know we're an anti nuclear movement and solidarity with radiation victims. So I'll probably don't directly use his teachings, but indirectly I use his teachings all the time. Okay. At this point in time, what we're going to do this when we're talking about African Liberation Day and post-AID Day. As an institution, you know, we're talking about many uh, movements and struggles. we got to talk a little bit about our brothers and sisters in Palestine. So what we're going to do right now, we'd like to have all y'all um, feedback on the issue of the Palestinian question and movement. When we come back, we're going to first play a little bit of national anthem, then a salute, a song to the Palestinians. And when we come back, we would like to hear each one of y'all response to how can we best assist our brothers and sisters in Palestine. So right now, we'll go and sign out with that national anthem, and we'll be back next Palestine, Palestine. Needs, her needs her freedom. 
needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Move. We're doing our annually post African Liberation Day, Palestine, Akbar Day. Program. You know, when we think about African Liberation Day as an institution, what comes to mind is the commonality of the various struggles that are going on around the world. And one of the struggles that's been going on a long time that has impact on all the African community, whether we're conscious or not, is the Palestinian struggle. So, Brother Anthony, I'll start out with you, then go to Brother Haiti. I would like for y'all to respond to the necessity of how. How how does the struggle connect to our people's well-being, and why should we care about the Palestinian people? Um, I would start out by pointing, uh, 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 pointing out an observation one of our uh, ancestors made ancestor made many years ago. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice mm-hmm. everywhere. And uh, nowhere is this clearer in the uh, Zionist occupation of Palestine Uh, because uh, the Palestinians, like many Africans, suffer from from the evils of settler colonialism. That's one aspect. And also also they suffer uh, the the brutality of... uh, of other man- manifestations of capitalism, such as um, uh, you know uh, the exploitation of their labor, uh, police repression, etc. And I would add that many police forces in the U.S. send their rank and file to uh, to occupy Palestine for training by Zionist forces. And they and they practice uh, 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 on 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 the uh, on the Palestinian people, and then when they return to the U.S., they use these repressive tactics against the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere and the Africans that are here. And uh, a lot of the, uh, uh, the 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 weapons that are used. And to oppress Africans in Africa are manufactured in Israel and tested on the Palestinians. So, uh, so that, that, that there there is a there there are several ways in which our struggles are connected, and also uh, and also uh, you know as uh, as revolutionaries, we are for we are for justice for humanity. As a whole, and uh, and uh, this the, the the injustice that the Palestinians suffer, uh, you know, uh, 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 affects uh, oppressed people worldwide. Thank you, Anthony. Brother Haki, your response? Yeah, without uh, picking back on what the uh, uh, brother what the brother is saying, uh, one of the things that's a strong parallel between what's happening to the Palestinians and what's happening to the Africa. Uh, not only in the United States, but throughout the African diaspora. 
So this fundamental injustice that are confronting our people is, you know, not only national but is global. And because it exists throughout the world, then we have a, a not political but a moral obligation to fight against it. Uh, the Palestinians epitomize the struggle in terms of standing up for that which is right. So we in the African Union also have a long tradition in terms of standing up against, against that which is incorrect. And so, therefore, our struggles in terms of justice is a moral and just one. And so we do it because not only we're compelled to do it, but we do it simply because of what humanity uh, compels us to do. So this parallel is very important that we keep in mind. And, all, and, and more importantly, I think, one thing I want to point out, Brother Africa, real quickly, is that when we, when we talk about in terms of the adversaries that we're confronted with, then there's, no, there's no question when we talk in the context of America, you're talking about the fact that we talk about uh, capitalism being a – uh, or elitism being a, 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 a defining factor in terms of our oppression. Well, when you talk about the Palestinians, you talk specifically, you talk about the Zionists. Now, when we talk about the relationship between the in American society or the capitalists and the Zionist class, they have a compelling interest to work together. And so, therefore, because they work together, it's that much more imperative that we as African people in America and our diaspora uh, work with our Palestinian brothers and sisters to, 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 to defeat this common enemy. So we have this, this moral obligation, this political obligation in terms of standing up and do that, to, to fight against that, which is incorrect. And so, therefore, we employ the, we, we are, we are actually uh, applaud the, uh, the Palestinians in terms of the, uh, uh, their noble efforts in terms of overcoming a, a, a beastly adversary in terms of their right uh, for, you know, proper, to, uh, to gain proper redress. Sister, Sister Zilli, your response to the Palestinian question. You know, I, I, in connecting it to IET, uh, Israel would not exist without the intervention of the United Nations and the continued intervention of the, the nations in the UN Security Council. Um, it's our position at Free Haiti that, that we have to destroy the UN. But the UN is maintaining um, not only the, the, the imperialism of um, Israel against Palestine, Palestine, but so saying similarly for the global south. Um, you have five nations with veto power over 193 nations. It just doesn't make any democratic sense. Um, a lot of the things happening to Palestine happen to Haiti. And Dominican Republic is our is our Israel. Um, organ trafficking, prostitution of our women, all of it. Um, our children, uh, lack of education. Um, these are things that that when a country and a people are not free, they they suffer in silence. Um, that any time some wealthy Rockefeller Rothschild type elite needs an organ, they can come to Haiti or go to Palestine because we have no protection. And in that way, I agree with everything that's been said, obviously. Injustice anywhere affects us all, but in particular, in Haiti, we know um, what this post-World War II powers are about, the Eurasians and their powers of maintaining their global zones of interest. So we all know that Israel exists not because those folks um, are Jewish in the traditional manner, but because um, they provide a space for the oils of big, big oil. Um, 
I think that Palestine, like Haiti, needs allies. I mean, we need allies with nuclear power because there's just no other way to to to, to maintain um, a balance of power with an animal that only knows um, oppression and domination. So for me, like for instance, I noticed today that um, Venezuela um, got some help from Iran in 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 bringing Iran's Iran brought Venezuela oil because the United States has blocked its its ability to 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 feed itself to 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 fuel itself. Um, when you have that kind of mindset running the world, and that's what's happening in Palestine. I mean, they cut off everything for them. Um, you need a power that will stand with you, um, and so that's what we need. We need we need real allies that have real um, um, military power to stand up to the West, to stand up to any of these Eurasian balances of power. We have to play that game. That's how the Haitian Revolution was won. We played them one against the the other. Palestine cannot be free unless it has ingots some allies, and neither can Haiti. Brother John, your response. So, uh, Weitzman, back to the, one of the early Zionists, said uh, that uh, Israel, his vision of Israel, is it would be a uh, it would be a citadel of uh, civilization in in a, in a land of uh, barbarism, and 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 that kind of codifies that uh, that from the beginning, uh, Israel is a colonial settler state, no, no different than the United States, Canada, Australia, uh, New Zealand. So. So, uh, and that needs to be uh, emphasized that uh, Palestinian people are the indigenous people of Palestine, and Israel is a colonial settler state. And we need to be very clear on that. I think that we need to uh, incorporate Palestine in all of the work that we do and to emphasize that solidarity with Palestine is not a separate issue from all of the other work we do. And I, and I think that Brother Hakeem said it very well. You know, um, panelists and guests, one other issue that Africa Liberation State um, puts in the stage when you're talking about the institution is they constantly address the importance of the land question. The land question. And when we talk about the Western Hemisphere, uh, most people forget that most people who came here were not part of the indigenous people. So I would just like for each one of y'all to give y'all position, perspective. How do y'all view the indigenous question in terms of this question of liberation and freedom as it relates to your particular group? Brother Anthony, can you talk a little bit about the importance of the land question and how this issue plays a key role around African Liberation Day and its existence? Uh, it's, uh, it plays a, a very important role. Uh, land is the basis uh, uh, of independence. If you don't control your uh, uh, control your own land, you don't control your own resources, and therefore you have no basis. You don't have a a, a, a power base from which uh, to meet your basic economic needs. 
Africans are powerless throughout the world today primarily because Africans are not in control of the resources of Mother Africa. And uh, uh, every, uh, every, it seems like every major uh, uh, imperialist power in the world is trying to get control of Africa. And uh, and uh, and uh, we uh, uh, Africans are being attacked ideologically by feeding by being fed negative images of Africa, so that they run away from it, while everybody else is trying to run to it because Africa ha- uh, is uh, is the rich re- richest continent in terms of natural resources of any land in the world, but. Uh, and and also, I, I think it's fueling the depopulation efforts as well. Uh, and they want, uh, you, you know, the imperialists want to continue to dominate and exploit Africa. And I think so. So so that that uh, that is uh, so c- the control of Africans by African is key, and that's why Pan Africanism is so important because only Pan Africanism. Can accomplish the objective of controlling Africa for controlling its resources in the interests of African people, and without that control, uh, Africans throughout the diaspora will have no economic and therefore no political power. Brother Aki, you understand the position on that question: How does it plays into the liberation of? Our brothers and sisters. Well, uh, Brother Anthony had it had it exactly right. Uh, one of the things, you know, um, land is the source of all wealth, and so without it, it's impossible to accumulate to even create wealth. So that's key. So I think one of the strategic errors that South Africa made was the refusal to to you know uh, you know profoundly deal with the question in terms of the land question. Uh, so I think that without you know land, there's no way possible to bring into fruition those kind of things which you need in terms of truly empowering the masses of people. So uh, Brother Anthony is correct. It's all about the land. So without it, uh, there can be no real wealth. So uh, close with that. Yes, this question right here to Sister Zeli. How do you view? The issue of the land question and how does it play into the role of freedom liberation as a people? I have a slightly different take on that because um, if we don't have food sovereignty but we have land, um, we really kind of defeat the purpose of having land. And I know that um, Africans have a lot of land in Africa. but um, we have come off of the outback, so to speak, um, and gone into the cities to work within the grid because of our value system. So, so we have to address that also. We have to address the fact that what is our value system? Don't we? You know, why aren't we um, pushing for agriculture development? Um, even if they're going to take out all our coltan and all our gold and all our oil, but at least be able to, to feed ourselves. So that's my first comment with regards to that, because I come from a country where uh, 70% peasant, but they're working the land or their land are being destroyed by Monsanto and other 
animal sort of um, pesticides that they put in there so that they, they, they can't work the land. So we have to see what they are doing to the land that making it impossible for our food sovereignty when, when we actually own it. So we own um, most of IT. Um, the Catholic Church is the biggest owner of land in, in Haiti after the after the, um, the the Haitian government. But many Haitians have their own land, but they have no value in them being called the poorest in the Western Hemisphere. So we have to look at it from that perspective also. What is it that our black intellectuals are doing when they're not giving value to their own land? Um, and they're listening to um, UN Economic come in and tell them that they have to do export any export economy and put their put, uh, get a job and so forth, as opposed to creating and producing. So that's that's, that's kind of one thing that I I, I think it's, it's it's important for us to understand. The, the the second thing that I think is important to us understand is that the world has moved on um, from the 60s and the 40s and so forth. There's something called fintech financial. Um, technology that has become even more important than land today. That's like when they mine your data and they create these applications that now has made um, banks, um, uh, you know, know, useless, that has made uh, credit cards useless, and everyone is going into having a mobile phone. It's become the land. It's become the, the space, and then they control that. And so they have elevated their value um, and diminished the value of the land. And so we need to really have intellectuals and folks who are going to um, create another system um, as opposed to, you know, right now in IET, for instance, we have Digicel, um, and they've essentially given away cell phones. And in that space of giving away cell phones, it provides, of course, a communication for the peasants and, 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 and poor folks. But what we don't understand is that it also provides the 10% white people that, 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 that exist in this world and that control these, these mediums access to who we are, what we are, where we stand, and they have GPS and they can send a drone to kill you anytime they want because you actually have a tool in your hand that's a weapon that they can use. So I think that we have to add, in addition to land being important, we have to see where we are in reality. Reality right now, the president of Haiti was put in by Digicel because they control the vote. They told people where to go vote, and if they didn't like a particular section of IET, they would tell them your, your voting space from your phone. They would tell them where to go from the phone, and then you know, they would tell them someplace that, you know, that's like uh, six miles away that they could never get to. And so these things, these new technologies, are undermining the importance of what we call the land and and then our own um, inability to have a, a mythology um, like white folks have <clears throat> with their country music and their country things where they go to, they have their ranch. You know, we don't have any of that because now, you know, most of us are running away from our let's call let's say using their own words, the tribes to go into the cities and, and do a job for them as opposed to owning our land. So we have to look at those two things also. Thank you, Mr. So let's go to Brother Maurice. Your question, your issue on the land question. I think we have lost Maurice. Go to Brother John. Brother John. Yeah, so uh, 
those of you who know me know me that know that I will always introduce myself very first by saying, you know, I am a colonist. I am a settler. It, for me, that defines the the the, the our, our entire struggle is about the land and about the dispossession of people from the land. So I was thinking as we were talking about about an example. So, you know, we, we our group works uh, against nuclear weapons, also against nuclear power. Well, the the uranium that was used to build the original Hiroshima bomb, little boy, was mined by the Congo uranium miners. It was imported from the Congo, was mined by the uh, Congo uranium miners. And the Congo uranium miners paid a terrible price, uh, very similar to the same price that uh, uh, a few years later the Navajo uranium miners uh, paid. Virtually all of them uh, died horrible, horrible uh, early deaths from lung cancer. So, so that's an example of the land being used. So the, the French, the, the main test site, they, they had two main test sites. One was in Algeria, the other was in uh, Tahiti, Mururoa. Both of Both of them indigenous land where they exploded their bombs and the the, uh, fallout was downwind on indigenous people, on the people of Algeria, and many of them died. Uh, And, of course, we can magnify this worldwide. So a friend of mine, Rosalie Bertel, uh, wrote a book about 25 years ago called No Immediate Danger, she estimated that anywhere from 20 to 50 million people died because of the, of the bomb, because of the mining and the testing and the fallout and so on. As many as 50 million people died. So um, I think that, that the question of land defines everything that we struggle for. And on that note, you're listening to Africa on the Move. We're doing an annual post-African Liberation Day, Palestine, and Mockbuck Day program. We're going to ask our participant panelists to give us their final thought on this year theme, Not Yet Uhuru, Not Yet Freedom, Not Yet Liberation. We're going to ask them to give us their final thoughts when we come back from the rule of liberation to culture. We'll be right back. All the lies that were spoken, all the blood we have spilled, all the treaties that were broken. All the leaders you have still Crushed or died for your sin Crushed or died for your sin Now a new day must begin 
night is clear Oh, how beautiful I will be We all agree tonight, all of the speakers have agreed that America has a very serious problem. Not only does America have a very serious problem, but our people have a very serious problem. America's problem is...
you know, we, the, the time has not come to give up. The time has come to, you know, redouble our efforts. And uh, I think that the main thing we have to remember is the children, the children of the future. They're the ones that need to be educated. Uh, hopefully we have still have a few things to teach them. And uh, so I would say let's, uh, let's educate, let's organize, let's uh, Stay in solidarity with each other. Let's stay on the move. Thank you, Brother John, for your contribution to today's program. You now will go go to Sissy Zilly. Sissy Zilly, you'll find the thoughts for the night. Thank you. Um, I think everyone, um, I've learned a lot by listening to all of you. Um, I think we're living in a, in a, a very new world at the moment, and I literally mean that, that new world that they wanted to bring in 1492 is in full effect, and they have tools like 5G, big pharma, coronavirus, and now remote work. So that for IET, for instance, you know, the diaspora remittances, which is $3.3 billion per year, is going to be cut in half, and so Haitians, which is that, that was their very direct aid to their families. Um, are going to feel it because um, the 3.3 billion that they used to send is not going to be able to send to Haiti anymore because um, they're not working. Um, a, a great percentage are just not working. 40 million I hear um, are unemployment in America. So um, that's the first thing. So diaspora remittances, I think, not just in Haiti but all over in Africa, are going to be um, 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 reduced. Um, one of the things that colonialism and imperialism and white settlers and all of that um, uh, um, oppression used to do is make people run into the sea to take boats in the Mediterranean or to take boats in the Caribbean to get to other places that they think would give themselves an opportunity to, to, um, to live. That opportunity is no longer available at the moment because there's more COVID um, coronavirus outside of Haiti and outside of Africa than there is in Africa at the moment or in Haiti. Um, that's an opportunity, and that's also a, a wake-up call for us. Third and final is this idea of the NGOs, the humanitarian fronts, the CIA version of missionary in, in, in the present day. Um, they are the ones that usually benefit for U.S. aid, so-called, to IT or to the the African nations, and right now they're they're having their own problems besides being discredited, for instance, in Haiti because of the $13.3 billion that they just took and never built Haiti back any better. So I think we have opportunities here. But I think more important, we also have to be uh, very conscious of um, letting our folks know what is important to us. If we go back to our values, that's what we're saying to free Haiti. We have to go back to our values. In Haiti, we used to work um, the farms in, in cooperation with each other, in Combit and Lacou. Those were, the, those were the ways. So I think that the ways forward are going back to our own values, to adapt our grandmother's greed medicine, and to understand that we are the people of the sun. And I know for a fact as, as, as a descendant of Jean-Jacques Dessalines and all of the warriors that have fought, um, that we have survived all forms of USAID eugenics. We have survived without work, without access to good food and medicine, and their militarized police. Uh, Israeli mercenaries have come into Haiti to maintain the rule of the black uh, token oligarchs from the Middle East. 
we have survived all of that, we have exposed all of that, and we continue to fight. And I think that the reason I stand today is because generations of Haitians stood before me, the generations with Nakuma. I mean, these folks um, fought back. And I think it's time for us to not just fight back. Um, we have to win this fight for the planet. And the way to do that is to go back to our own values and, and send the Eurasians back to wherever they belong. But at this point, um, survival means going back to our green medicine, to the sun, to the earth, and away from, I mean, for the first time, we have Haitians leaving the Dominican Republic and running into Haiti because the Dominican Republic has so much tourism in contact with these white people. Um, they are sick, more sick than we are. Um, so we have to understand, and I say this to Haitians, um, um, stay away from people coming from abroad, stay away, because they will bring in these diseases as they have been doing at the time of uh, the small smallpox blanket, and have some value for your land. Go grow your own food. And for Americans, the main ingredient to COVID organics of um, Andre, um, the, the president of Madagascar, it's called sweet wormwood. Um, you can grow it. You could buy the seed. You could get someone from Africa, someone from Haiti, someone to send you the seed. Um, I think self-reliance is the only thing we can count on right now to save ourselves, self-reliance. So sweet wormwood, it's sold out everywhere. But you can find, when you find it, find it, have someone send it to you, because we have it in IET. Those are the things that Haitians are using right now. And uh, that's what I can leave you with. Thank you so much for the yeah. opportunity. Um, my name is Esli Dantal. You can find me at EsliDantal.com. And I do have a coronavirus essay, photo essay, that's on my free hate page. Go to the out section, and you can keep up with our coverage. Thank you so much, Brother Lee. Thank you so much, sincerely. And Brother John, how can you contact and find out more about your work and organization? Um, go to the Hiroshima Nagasaki. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Hiroshima Peace Committee.net. And that has uh, a way to contact us, but it also has a lot of uh, very good. Um, about various aspects of the bomb that you're really not going to read about anywhere else. Hiroshima Peace Committee dot net. Thank you. And Brother Hackey, you're fine to us for tonight. For tonight, Brother Hackey. You're fine to you know, uh, Yeah, well, Bob Marley said many more will have to suffer, many more will have to die. So it seems to me with all this, you know, uh, Accounting fraud that's taking place with respect to uh, uh, the uh, the the, um, the the not only just the IMF, but I'm thinking specifically about the, the Federal Reserve. Uh, clearly, it, it's creating a scenario which says that a lot of people' uh, existence are superfluous, and because people's existence is superfluous, it means that there's there's a lack of need for lots and lots of people, in particular poor people. So we got a, a very peculiar problem that we're confronted with. So I encourage people to get about the business of, of building institutions because institutions, uh, institutions are so important. Uh, and, uh, you know, without those institutions, you know, navigating this insanity is almost impossible. And I'll close with that. I want to thank you, and you have a good night. Thank you, Brother Hackey. And Brother Anthony, you'll find it to us for tonight. Yes. Um, on behalf of the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, 
we would like to thank all the organizations and individuals that participated in our African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, not by commemoration. And also, we, we, uh, we must encourage our people to join an organization and also take control of the education of our people. We cannot leave the, uh, the education of, of our youth up to other people. Uh, the, the results have been disastrous. So we must join an organization, and we must educate ourselves and our youth. Thanks. And, Brother Anthony, how can they find out more about your organization and even more about this year, African Liberation Day, Palestine Day? I realized on the website there was something real unique about the website this year, and people been telling me about how well it has been a tool for information of learning about other organization movements. Can you talk a little bit about the website and what people can find on it? Certainly. Uh, on the website, which is, the link is www.a-aprp-gc.org. Uh, uh, once they uh, go to the website, they can find the uh, uh, the agenda for African Liberation Day, Palestine Day, not by 2020. On that agenda is a list of the organizations and their and their website links, and uh, and uh, people may find this very useful for their own research and study. And uh, so we encourage you to visit our website, and uh, uh, and I, I trust you'll find it very informative. And also, hopefully, increase your level of political activity. And on that note, to all our participants, friends, supporters, and listeners, we'd like to thank you for tuning in tonight to this particular program. This is our post-African Liberation Day, Palestine, and Nakhmark Day program on a yearly basis. We seriously like for you to take a look at some of these organizations and find a way of making a contribution to these organizations financially as well as active participation. We encourage active participation more so over financially because through your active participation, you can find ways once you organize yourself how to raise resources, generate resources. Our people suffer because they are disorganized. And the only way we're going to be organized is that we must be organized. And that means be in an organization that is doing something for our people. So we encourage you, check out that website. Find an organization that is doing something to fit your philosophy, what you think needs to be done, and join them and help build them. And if you, find, if you can't find an organization that fits your philosophy, then you have the responsibility to create one to help your people and humanity. This program is under the banner of the African Women's Association. We pride ourselves on trying to give you what you need and not what you want. We know that information is very important. Without information, you cannot think. We know organization is very critical because without organization, you cannot think. So, brothers and sisters, join us. Come back next week, same time, same station, and we'll continue to travel down this road of liberation. 
Right now, we're going to leave you with some lessons from Brother Kwame Ture as we talk about this whole issue of the importance of revolution versus reform. This has been a post-African Liberation Day, Palestine, and Knock-Knock Day. And as salute goes out to the all-African peoples, Revolutionary Party of D.C., and the National Council of Arab America, for an excellent job that they have done this weekend. There's a difference between revolution and reform. Big difference. In reform, a man observing a foundation, observing a system, sees many problems. But he assumes that there's nothing wrong with the system. The foundation of the system for him is a good system. Thus, what he seeks to do is to change the building as best he can, but he wants to leave the foundation intact. Example, if I came to this building, it's Ackerman Hall, is it not? If I came to Ackerman Hall and I looked at the foundation, the foundation was falling. It was just falling, couldn't possibly stand. If I were a reformist, I'd say, okay, put a piece of board over that. So we cover the foundation. We haven't touched it. And then I'll come here and say, put a window there. Put a door here. Put a frame here. Put two rooms where there used to be one. What I'm doing is reforming the system. I am trying to make it look different, but I'm keeping the same rotten foundation. You must understand that because... This country is full of reformists, black people notwithstanding. And these reformists have a tendency to deceive you to let you believe that things are really being changed when in fact the foundation has not been touched and the longer it stays, the more rotten it becomes. The more rotten it becomes. A revolutionary comes into the building, observes Ackerman Hall and says, looks at the foundation and said, hey, this foundation is filthy, it's rotten, it's corrupt, it must be torn up. A new one must be put in its place. Once he makes that decision, and once that theoretical decision which he's made is demonstrated actively in his day-to-day -day life, you have a revolutionary. Thus, a revolutionary is not someone who seeks to reform a system. He's someone who seeks to replace it. I'm a revolutionary. I'm not a reformist. I want the American system destroyed. It must be destroyed and has to be replaced. It has to be replaced. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Again, I'm not calling for revolution. I see it coming, and I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to be part of the problem. I've been the victim too long, so I want to be part of the solution. I am saying that all of us must opt for revolution. All of us must opt for revolution. Now, revolution is very scientific. There's nothing emotional about it. There's nothing emotional about it. President Sekou Toure, a wise and courageous African revolutionary, says that in revolution there is no sentimentality. There is none. Whether I like something or do not like something, it is scientifically determined for me, thus I must do it. So I have no sentiments involved in my work. I just have to do what I have to do, and I will do it the best way I can. Best way I can. Now, revolution, we said, follows scientific laws. If you come and you look at the foundation and you see the foundation is rotten and you say that you want to replace this foundation, you want a new system, you're asking for revolution. Because what you're saying is that you want another system where there is a system. And we know scientifically that no two things can occupy the same place at the same time. I mean, that's logic. So if you say that uh, you're against capitalism, and you want another system put in the place of capitalism, then all you're saying is that you want revolution because capitalism and this other thing cannot occupy America at the same time. Only one 
Only one will occupy it. Only one will be dominant. Thus, if you say you want revolution, you understand you're talking about scientific principles. Two systems cannot occupy the same space at the same time. I'm opposed to capitalism. I seek, I seek an economic system which must follow the principles of scientific socialism. This system must come, will come, all over the world. our struggle since the 60s, you will see nothing but betrayals by the petty bourgeois elements in our society. The African bourgeoisie is the most corrupt bourgeoisie in the world. In Africa, they seek luxury in the midst of mass suffering. There are more Mercedes in Africa than in any other continent in the world. In America, as soon as they arrive at a position based on the blood of the people, they snatch that position and run away from the people. But you must not think that they represent the people. They only represent their opportunistic self using the people every step of the way. So you must not be confused. It must be clear then for the 60s, the class struggle in the African Revolution must be more ruthless and uncompromising than in any other revolution. Here then the masses must come without pity and without mercy to trample upon these reactionary pigs who after the people have gained struggle through their blood come to hand back the gains on a silver platter to the very enemy the people fought. This will come as a natural consequence. The people themselves are everywhere screaming that it's time for them to deal with these reactionary pigs. Even in America, they say, our leaders must be held accountable. They're only saying here that these people must be accountable to those who made it possible for them to get there. Thus, not only is the revolution inevitable, but it is clarifying itself and it is qualifying itself. For the African masses everywhere, the Claire Poise position now for class struggle has become inevitable and irreversible. The petty bourgeoisie everywhere will be running for cover, but the masses will spare them not. Consequently, we who have dedicated our lives to the people's struggle, we who knowing that the people will always be free, we understanding that we must make a contribution to qualify our struggle since the 60s, have been, have been dedicating all our energies to only one task, the organization of the masses of our people. The organization of the masses of our people. We are not running for mayor. We're not running for president. No changes can come from the top down. We're not stupid. Changes can only come from the bottom up. The masses and the masses alone can make them. If you want to learn something from the 60s, the lesson is simple. Organize the masses of the people. Thank you. And Africanism must come from the bottom up, from the masses of the people up. It is here then that we'll come to see the real aspect of Pan-Africanism. We said that in the Fifth Pan-African Congress, they called for mass organizations, and immediately mass organizations sprang up throughout the length and breadth of the African world. The Conventional People's Party, a mass party, sprang up in Ghana. The Democratic Party of Guinea, a mass party, sprang up in Guinea. Throughout the length and breadth of Africa, you had the TANU, the Tanzanian African National Union, which is now the CCM. My Swahili is uh, not as good as yours. Uh, Chimpa, Chimpuraza, Mazuri. That's very good. Oh, <laughs> my, my Swahili is bad. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly, exactly. And uh, that's their new party. But all over Africa, mass parties sprung up. If you look at the Caribbean, mass parties sprung up. And if you look at the United States, mass movements sprang up. So the call was heeded for mass confrontation. Of course, the Fifth Pan-African Congress made two definite and precise resolutions which I want to uh, highlight. 
Of course, Pan-Africanism from the very beginning was anti-colonial. From the very beginning it was anti-colonial. It was weak. So when they came, they didn't say to the queen, we're going to put you out of the country. They said, you must treat the natives right. You must educate them. You must prepare them for self-government. These are things that are weak, but they were anti-colonial in essence. We must not look at the form. And we got stronger, the more this anti-colonialism will express itself. Now, anti-colonialism is nothing but anti-capitalism. Because colonialism is nothing but an offshoot, an aspect of capitalism. Therefore, if you're anti-colonial, you must be anti-capitalist, if you're logical in your thinking, of course, and your actions. Some people are not, but we are speaking of logical people here. <laughs> if you're anti-capitalist, then you must be socialist. Capitalism cannot unite Africa. Africa has to be united by socialism. Now, there's a lot of confusion here on this question of capitalism and socialism. Just recently, a young man said to me, but socialism died. I said, it did. He said, you didn't hear about it? I said, I missed the funeral. <laughs> of course, he spoke about the betrayals that occurred in the East. You must not let capitalism confuse your thinking. This is a struggle which Pan-Africanism takes on. We struggle against imperialism in the illogical arena because many people think that capitalism just wants to exploit your labor. It wants to confuse your thinking and make you think just like them. And this is where the real fight occurs. So therefore, this struggle of confusing the thinking, I told the man, I said, you're talking nonsense. Socialism cannot uh, uh, disappear. It cannot die. He said, yes, it can. I said, no. He said, how do you say that? I said, well, you are judging uh, socialism by socialists. You don't do that. He said, I've never heard such nonsense. If you don't judge socialism by socialists, what do you judge it by? I said, you judge it by its principles. Every system is judged by its principles, never its adherence. So he still saw confusion. He said, you're just talking double talk. I said, okay, do you judge Christianity by Christians? <laughs> So we must not be confused here. Socialism doesn't fall because of betrayal. No system does. The person who betrays themselves goes to the mud, but the system with its eternal principles keep marching on. If a system fell because of betrayal, Christianity would have been finished with Judas. At least Judas had the dignity to hang himself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some of these who betray socialism don't have that dignity. Gorbachev still runs around speaking and I'm picking up 30 pieces of silver everywhere. Yeah. So uh, socialism is an economic system. And there can only be two in the world, capitalism or socialism, because every economic system must answer one fundamental question. Who will own and control the wealth of the country? Who will own and control the means of production? The question can only be answered two ways. Either a few will own or everyone will own. It's as simple as that. And under capitalism, we say, please summarize what we might have. No, I'm going. I thought I had 20 minutes. It's my time. I thought I had 20 minutes. I was going by the clock. How much time do I have left? I'm sorry, maybe I'm off. That's what I thought I did. I was watching. Now I'm watching my clock. I'm irresponsible. I'm rev revolutionary. I go back to my clock. Thank you. Matter of fact, I can say it in two words black power. <laughs> and today we've gone to one Pan Africanism. <laughs> yeah. So there are only two economic systems, and it's going to be capitalism or socialism. Capitalism is a backward system, there's no need to discuss it. Certainly anyone who's been made a slave by capitalism ought to be hesitant in trying to support the system. But as a conscious African, I must be against capitalism and I must, of course, seek to destroy it. So in, when you speak of Pan-Africanism, you must understand you speak of socialism. And we want to underline there's only one socialism out here and that's scientific socialism, whose principles are abiding and universal. There's no such thing as African socialism, Chinese socialism, Russian socialism, Arab socialism. There's only one socialism. The confusion arises over ideology. That is that which guides you towards your objective. 
So we're saying clearly here, Pan-Africanism is not an ideology. It is an objective. It is an achievable. Pan-Africanism is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. All we want is a unified continent with a socialist system. That's all. But you know Africa is the richest continent in the world. When she's properly organized, she'll be the most powerful. Yeah, of course. Of course. And me, all I want is becoming conscious. Becoming conscious is linked to mobilization and organization. Something we mentioned last year. We must make clear distinctions between mobilizers and organizers. To be an organizer, you must be a mobilizer. But being a mobilizer doesn't make you an organizer. Much confusion is to be found here. Malcolm X was a great mobilizer. He was a great organizer. Martin Luther King was a great mobilizer. He was not a great organizer. These facts can be easily seen from King and Malcolm. When Malcolm went to a place, he left a mosque. When King went to demonstrations, he broke down desegregation and he moved on. As a matter of fact, King was not concerned with organization to the point that even though he was the most popular Baptist preacher in America without the shadow of a doubt and probably beyond the shadow of a doubt the most loved, he could not become president of the Baptist National Baptist uh, Convention. Yeah, so many of them. The National Baptist Convention. <laughs> As a matter of fact, if my memory serves me correctly now, and I remember it was Mohammed Speaks that uh, carried the article on the front page in 1964 when King tried to become president of the National uh, Baptist Convention, there was so much confusion there that a minister was actually put, pushed off the stage and died in his trouble. Yeah. And of course, King lost. The man who won was a reactionary man by the name of Jackson. He never did nothing for the people, never cared about the people, this was a pork chop minister who used their money to put gas in his big Cadillac. But he was organized. But he was organized. We say that we must come to know the difference between mobilization and organization because the enemy will use mobilization to demobilize us. Mobilization is very easy. Very, very easy. Because since we're people who are instinctively ready to respond against acts of injustice, anytime there's one little act of injustice, we can blow it up and we'll find people who come and make some mass demonstration around it. Miss Sally lost her job. Let's rally. She'll get her job back. People will come and rally. So-and-so got kicked out of school because the teacher's unjust. The unjust. The people will come and rally. They will come to rally at issues. And this is what mobilization does. It mobilizes people around issues. Those of us who are revolutionary are not concerned with issues. We're concerned with the system. The difference must be properly understood. The difference must be properly understood. Mobilization usually leads to reform action, not to revolutionary action. If we would look scientifically at the October 16th million and more march, we would see clearly that this was a mobilized event not an organized event. We must know clearly the difference between mobilization and organization. One of the characteristics of mobilization is that it is temporary. Organization is permanent and eternal. Clear differences must be made because the unconscious can usually be captured easily around one issue items, around mobilization items, 
but it's hard to catch them around organization. But these unconscious must be brought to organization. We must transform mobilization to organization. We say the enemy will come and use mobilization to demobilize us. Many brothers and sisters who've been to the Million and More March will say to you, I was there. Well, what are you doing today, my sister? I was there. There weren't too many sisters out there, but you know, with a million brothers together, you know where I had to be. I was there. <laughs> and then, of course, you find brothers, yeah, I was there, I was there. I helped you. What are you doing today, brother? If we're not careful, we allow mobilization to become events. The struggle is never an event. It's a process, a continual, eternal process. organization Black Workers for Justice. Um, we came in from Raleigh, North Carolina, from Jacksonville, North Carolina, from Durham, um, and we're here because we support and we are part of the labor movement, but also part of the environmental justice movement, too. We are with UE150, the North Carolina Public Service Workers Union, local of the United Electrical, Radio, and Machine Workers of America. In our communities, we fight on the job, but we also see the need to fight in our communities. There is no distance between the two. If we want justice on our jobs, we have to fight for justice in our communities. A lot of Great, the African embrace. When 
the color of life. Universal harmony. The earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity. Human beings. Human love. On a spiritual tip. So vast. So great. The African Embrace.